Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Here's what I want to do. This episode, again, is going to mainly focus on one particular subject, but as you would expect, it all connects to a variety of things that are going on right now. I want to specifically focus in on what I briefly brought up in the last episode, which had to do with the Westerville City Schools District in Westerville, Ohio, where the school board there, which I, of course, have sent letters to regarding the mask wearing, and I got them ultimately to take the masks off of children on school buses. That was a a rather large win that occurred uh, almost a year ago. Wow, time flies, doesn't it? That was a year ago. Um, either way, what they're doing now, which I alluded to in the last in the last episode, is is something that is a part of a much larger plan here. And this is the enemy's plan that they are playing out, play by play, in chronological order. They know exactly what they're doing, and this is a major step in it. It's not necessarily going to surprise a bunch of people because this has been around for a little while, but much like the gay agenda in schools has been around for a little while and has been, of course, ramping up certainly over the last decade plus. It was the fake COVID pandemic that caused it to kick into fifth gear, pedal to the floor. It's the exact same way with the social emotional learning stuff and the implementation of all of this weak minded, we're all victims, we all have a lot going on in our minds. There's more that teachers need to do for students. You know, teachers need to be the counselors, and more importantly, this school environment needs to be the parents of these children, regardless of who they are. It doesn't matter if they're poor and they make terrible grades or they're filthy rich and they make straight A's. The school seeks to be the parent for all children because that's government. Schools are government, school boards, our government. It stretches into something I'm going to bring up later, which of course has to do with the overall brainwashing of people and how these environments are filled with people who are full-blown brainwashed. They will never apologize for what they've done in the past. They'll never admit that they believed something that wasn't real. I think that these individuals are the 4 to 6% that Q referred to when they said that these are going to be the people that are just lost forever. These are the people that will not wake up. These school board members will not wake up. It will quite literally take death to bring the amount of clarity that they need to see what they have actually done. They have no idea. They have no idea what they've done to themselves. They have no idea what they've done to the children within their school district. They have no idea, the students rather. They have no idea what they've done. Not a clue. And they have no idea that they are, in fact, the useful idiots that Karl Marx and Frederick Engels wrote about, that they don't have to fire a shot. All they have to do is just implement their policies and their programs, and we will create these positions where these useful idiots will be attracted to like a magnet to a fridge. And then what will happen is they will just carry out the plan. They will think that it is for the betterment of humanity. We will, we'll, you know, wrap it up that way. Basically, we'll we'll disguise it in that manner, and then they will just go along with it. So, what I'm going to do here 
is I'm going to read through this particular presentation that this group of women, and that's another thing too which people need to keep in mind. Again, no offense to women because I know a lot of strong women who would of course never do this. The unfortunate part is that many of these presentations that are given in school boards or of course, as you've heard me say, the vast majority of people who work within school districts are women, that these kinds of programs speak directly to the emotional aspect or characteristics of particular women. And so they think that, again, that they are actually helping when in fact they're hurting. And again, you know, you'd, <laughs> it's just, it, it's perfect because they're being used again and they have no idea. But they actually firmly believe, again, that what they're doing is a good thing. It, of course, is not. There are four women that are a part of this particular group that were invited to the Westerville City School District board meeting, which, again, was approximately 12 or 13 days ago. And, again, it, it begins with one woman talking, and she's kind of going through the slides, and then all of a the sudden these three women standing behind her show up, and then they start to describe very haphazardly all of these other strategies that they would like to see teachers engage in in order to de-escalate. And there's a series of words that they use, by the way. One of the words you'll hear them say is trauma, and another word is de-escalate and then regulate. And they're consistently saying, well, we need to regulate the brain. And we need to regulate the brain. And, and they quite literally say it almost with that tone, just this robotic 1984 tone. Well, we, we all need to regulate. And let's all just regulate. And then we need to de-escalate. I mean, they are the voice over a PA system that would, that would be used to brainwash the masses. Again, they don't know this because they themselves are brainwashed. And that's, you know, the, un the unfortunate beauty, so to speak, of Marxism and Bolshevism is it purposefully brainwashes these people to where they change the way that they talk themselves and they have no idea how they actually sound that the literal sound of their voice is almost a brainwashing tactic in itself. And I'm going to, again, play a little bit of audio so that you can hear how these people sound. The audio may be a little off. It may, you know, it may, not, um, it may not be the best audio quality because, again, the three women who are standing behind this one woman, when they come up to speak, some of them aren't speaking into the microphone. They're standing away from the microphone. So my point is, is some of the audio is going to be a little weird. But first, I want to go through the first woman's slideshow here. Because the person who's running the camera for the board meeting is bouncing between... There's basically three cameras in the room, which is rather high tech for a board meeting. So they'll have... They'll have uh, and certainly a lot of editing, I guess, or at least switching from camera to camera. But they'll have a camera on the board members all of which we can assume are jabbed. And you've heard me bring them up specifically before this particular school board because one of them, her name is Jennifer Altman. She's jabbed to the bone, and she coughs constantly throughout these meetings. Now, I could spend an entire episode on the hypocrisy of, of all of that. Again, none of them are wearing masks. They're not distanced from one another. They're sitting right next to each other at a, at a large table. You have the treasurer on one end, superintendent on the other, and then all the board members in the middle with the president sitting in the middle. They're all female except for the superintendent. 
and then there's I, I would say an ambiguously gay black man who is who sits on the board. He may not be gay, but whatever. Either way, uh, you know his his open participation in a lot of this is very suspect. So there's all of that. I just kind of wanted to set the picture there. So again, the camera bounces between a giant screen that's in the room, a projector screen that has the presentation on it, the person giving the presentation, and then the board members themselves. During these invited talks, however, because this is not the public, you know, the open session where the public is to show up and just lean into the, lean into the board members. This is an invited talk. These people were invited to come here and give this presentation by someone. Either they invited themselves and the board said, yeah, you know, come on in and, and we'll hear what you have to say. Or they were specifically invited or the board was told that these people are going to show up and give this presentation. Now, I've played audio from, again, this board meeting or this particular school board in the past, more specifically, a few months back when they invited in this LGBT alphabet soup nonsense group to give a presentation on the pronouns, you know, all, all the pronoun stuff and all the rainbow flag stuff and how all of that needs to exist and how all of that needs to be implemented in particular at the high school level. Uh, again, the, the, the presentation was given by a woman dressed as a man, uh, identified themselves with whatever name they had and their pronouns. It was, it was beyond ludicrous. The simple fact that these school board members would entertain this conversation should tell you the direction that all schools are heading in. If they're not already there, of course, and perpetuating this problem, they are all purposely heading in this direction. Because again, in summary, before I start here with their presentation, it's being done on purpose because this is the plan. This is the plan for what they want American schools. And when I say they, I mean the Kazarian Mafia, the powers that be, um, you know, wh whoever, whoever it is, whatever organization group you want to tie into this, the WEF, the World Health Organization, all of it, they're, they're purposefully doing this because they want the family gone. They want the children to rely on government for all of their information to be completely brainwashed, and they know that they can use school board members to accomplish their goal, and they're doing it, and it's working by and large. But these people have to be exposed for the frauds that they are, and more importantly, for the brainwashing and the brainwashed people that they are. So there's all of that. Okay. Here's the presentation. The first slide. Again, it's a blonde woman, seemingly innocent looking. She has a, a wedding ring on her finger. Uh, don't know if she's married to a woman or what the deal is. But anyway, she shows up. And the first slide is titled, What is Trauma Resilience Schools? Trauma and Resilience Schools? Question mark. And then she starts giving her talk. The next slide is a series of bullet points. At the top, it's titled Trauma-Informed Resilience-Focused Training. Again, keep in mind, this is a group that is seeking to implement particular strategies, I'm using finger quotes, or tools in the old teacher toolbox that they want their teachers to use for all students. Not just the ones that they think are, you know, mentally and emotionally suffering from something. 
but they want to implement this with everybody. So there's six bullet points here. The first one at the top says training and certification through the STAR Commonwealth. STAR Commonwealth is spelled S-T-A-R-R. And you can look this up on your own. It's star, S-T-A-R-R dot org. 110 years of healing. It says on their opening page, trauma is real, but it does not seal an individual's fate. Star Commonwealth is driven to empower professionals to build resilience in children, families, and communities across the world through online education, in-person training and coaching, and direct behavioral health services. There's professional training, coaching, certification, conferences, etc., etc., assessment and intervention, social media. They have news reports of particular things, a quote from Dick Vitale, like that matters. Again, they have their entire story listed there, uh, their approach, mission, values, all that other stuff, their program. The STAR Behavioral Health, Professional Learning, Opportunities, Certifications, Accreditation, SEL Program, Social-Emotional Learning, and then Resilient Schools Starter Kit, a higher education uh, partnerships apparently that they have, and then Excel U, powered by STAR. They have a store, a contact us page, a donate page, etc., etc. It's useless. That's the whole point. It's completely useless. These are NGO organizations working their way into schools to implement their ideologies and their approaches on people after, and this is important, after a manufactured incident, we'll say, or a manufactured trauma experience, quote unquote. Now, what of course has happened over the last three years? that would open the doors and and wave the green flag for a group like this to show up. The fake pandemic. Again, there was no pandemic. COVID-19 doesn't stand for what they think it stands for. These school districts, they think it's coronavirus disease. It's not. And on top of that, that was purposely implemented again so that groups like this could make their way in. And then, of course, it would give the school district no excuse but to accept groups like this in, because this is the Hegelian dialectic. It's the exact same thing. We will manufacture the problem. We will watch the trauma ensue, allegedly, and then we will offer you said solution. The hook, too, also is this. Their solution is a cover-up for their involvement. You see, American K-12 schools were, were as, you, as you already know because you listen to this show, they were responsible for any trauma that took place. The mask wearing, the distancing, the plastic dividers, get your shots or you're all going to die. Don't hang out with your friends or your family. Make sure you distance yourselves. Be safe. Be careful. Oh, the invisible enemy. See, that's, that's the issue here. That's the, that's the bigger problem. But you need brainwashed people in order to carry this out. And that's why it's these brainwashed people that are carrying this out. So if you want to learn more about the Star Commonwealth, I don't like any of those words, 
Commonwealth scares me to death. It's communism, period. Everybody's the same, treat everybody the same, solve the same problem with everybody. In particular, if they don't have a problem, we'll assume they do. We'll assume that they're suppressing the problem. And then we'll do whatever we can to help that person because clearly they're not sharing with us because they're suppressing the problem. They bring that up later in the board meeting too, which I'll get to later. But that right there, again, I highly recommend looking that up on your own to educate yourself on how crazy it is, or you could just take my word for it. Uh, the next bullet point on the, on the first slide, including all Westerville school systems, spaces, and places. They want it everywhere. That's communism also. They have no idea what they're implementing. It's this, they want the same policy and procedures everywhere. No matter where a kid turns, they're going to see the star commonwealth, trauma-enforced, resilience-focused training posters everywhere they go. Because the brainwashed need brainwashed people. That's the point. The next bullet point. Shifting the mindset in how children are viewed. What that means is, is they're trying to get every adult to view children as being victims, to view all children as being filled with trauma. They are resilient, but we need to train them as government to be more resilient. Well, when government does that, government provides the opportunities to break the child's mind by manufacturing crises. Uvalde, Texas. Sandy Hook Elementary School. The list is endless. 9-11. It doesn't matter. You could go back to the fake Challenger explosion. Same thing. That was aired in schools for the purpose of, again, building trauma. And then the school would become a giant counseling session. Not, not curriculum regarding reading, writing, arithmetic, or, or teaching them to th critically think and question everything in particular government. Not that. But the opposite, to rely on government 100%. The next bullet point, number four, is training 10 steps to create trauma, informed spaces and classrooms. And they go through these Terrible strategies in the future, which I'll mention later. The next bullet point, building characteristics of resilience. That has a lot to do with terminology, getting everybody to use the same words, getting everybody to say the same thing. Because if everybody's saying the same thing and using the same words, then no one is experiencing anything terrible. Everybody's fine because, look, they're all saying the same things, like zombies. Providing guidance and support through a coaching model. That's the last bullet point on that slide. Again, treating teachers like they're stupid, treating administrators like they're stupid, treating children like they're stupid because government is big brother. Government can solve all of the problems. The next slide. It says, why focus on trauma and resilience? And this is the slide I read in the last episode, where at the bottom of that it says, the best place to positively impact children outside of the home is school. Incorrect. School is the worst place to positively impact a child. It's the worst place. 
the next slide that they have. It says 15,000. Okay, now this is where this is where the woman got all statistics crazy and thinks that she's some statistician. None of these people, by the way, have useful degrees. That needs to be mentioned. They, if they did, they would at least say it. They would provide something about their background, but they don't. They're just, you know, they just fell off the turnip truck. They, they have this presentation. They just say it, and they throw up some statistics on a screen, in particular from the CDC of all places. And then they expect everybody to just drink it in. And people drink it in. The slide says 15,738 students, based on national statistics from the CDC, that out of all of those students, those 15,000 plus, 7,869 have experienced at least one childhood trauma. Who cares? Who cares? That's, that's over half, approximately. So who cares? What, again, what is that? What constitutes an actual trauma in their eyes? Stubbing your toe on a coffee table would constitute a trauma as far as they are concerned. I'm not kidding. Being bitten by a dog. Okay, we've all been bitten by a dog at some point, in particular if you've grown up around dogs. That's just kind of the way it goes. That would constitute a childhood trauma. Falling off your bicycle and scraping your knee on the curb. A childhood trauma. Again, this is contributing directly to the wussification of America. This is it. And it's happening inside American schools. The next statistic they have is 9,400... this oh good lord, uh, the the you know these presentations they they would do well to at least organize them a little better, Some more spaces, commas, you know things like that. Uh, it's just terrible, you know. Again, these people have no credentials. They can't even build a PowerPoint presentation correctly. It says nine thousand four hundred and forty-two, no spaces, and then seventeen years or younger have been exposed to crime, violence, and or abuse. So what they're telling you is that of the 15,738 students, based on the CDC, that 9,442 of them under the age of 17 have been exposed to crime, violence, and or abuse. That's a bit of a stretch. That's a stretch. But again, they know people will soak these statistics in no matter what. They don't care if they're real or not. They don't do any investigation. They trust these people. Look what they did with COVID and the fake pandemic. Same thing. They drank it in. The last statistic on this slide says suicidal ideations and attempts are up 45% since 2018. Now, if they're surveying students in American schools and suicide attempts or, or thoughts of suicide are up 45% since 2018, who do you think is the lead contributor to thoughts of depression or anxiety that would ultimately lead to suicidal ideation or attempts? If you said government or American schools, you would be correct. Because they are the problem. But like I said at the beginning of this, 
they'll never accept responsibility. They don't want to believe that it, is, that it is they themselves that have created all of these problems, allowing cell phones into schools, censoring things that are on the internet so that students in school can't look up the truth. They censor endless websites that would tell the truth to countless students. Back when I taught school, they censored YouTube, and that's back in the fringe days of YouTube when almost everything was allowed on YouTube. But the school district was like, no, we can't have students on YouTube. They're going to look up terrible things. How do you know that? Maybe they're going to look up the truth about particular subjects, but the system can't allow that. And then, of course, what do they do when they catch a student looking up those particular things or asking serious questions? They discipline them. They kick them off the internet permanently. The next slide. It says, focus on resilience. Quote, while we can't take away what has happened, we might not be able to change what is happening. We can help foster characteristics of resilience. The next slide. It says trauma-informed resilience-focused outcomes. And there are, again, bullet points. The first one, improved academic achievement and test scores. That's what they think that their implementation of all of this nonsense is going to do. They always say it's going to increase academic achievement and test scores. They are sorely mistaken. If that were true, it would already be present, visible, and measurable. But it's not. Because they can't. You can't possibly correlate any particular program that exists in a school building like an NGO program like this that comes in and then prove that it's improved the entire landscape. There's no evidence saying such. None. The next bullet point, as you would expect, says improved school climate, implying that everybody's going to be getting along more. It'll be a happier environment if this is the case. The next one, improved teacher sense of satisfaction and retention. No. No. That's not going to happen. For a thousand reasons, all of which you've heard me bring up here. The shot taking is wiping people out. I could go on forever. <laughs> I mean, uh, the answer is no. Nope. You've abused them already. The school system abused the entire profession already. Year after year after year after year. And now they're claiming that such an implementation of this is going to solve everything. Nope. The next one is reduced frequency of behavioral outbursts and referrals. Incorrect. It's quite the opposite. When you, te when you talk to minors and adults, I might add, as if they are children, they will hate you. The anger will brew in them more and more and more, and they will hate you. They'll hate going, and that hate is an emotion, of course, and it breeds right into thoughts of depression, feelings of anxiety, the physiological effects of being anxious, and then, of course, suicidal ideation or action. It's the environment itself that's creating all of this. And that same abusive environment is claiming now to have the solution. It's just, 
It's just an old yarn that's being played again. The next bullet point says, Reduced stress experienced by staff and students. No. The next one says, Reduced absences, use of detention and suspensions. No. The next one says, Reduced bullying, harassment, and fights. Incorrect. Incorrect. And the next one is reduced burden on special education services. That is also wrong. It increases special education services because that's a statistic that is measurable that I've brought up here on the show. That special education used to be approximately 2% of an entire school population, in particular, special education teachers. Now, in teacher education programs at the university level, they want everybody graduating with an education degree to also be certified in special education. Why? Because there's a 35% increase, at least a 35% increase now, in both special education students and teachers. In fact, right, well, yeah, 35%, over 35% now of school buildings have special education students in them. And the vast majority of the individuals who interact with those students, again, based on the government parameters and government guidelines, they have to be certified in special education. It's a con game. It's all about money. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's all about money. Here's their next slide. Equally as stupid. This is the training and implementation portion of their talk. And the slide that they present says this. There's past, present, and future. So imagine three vertical columns from left to right. The past. In this box, it says trained trauma practitioners for 10 plus years. Spring of 2021, four certified trauma and resilience trainers through the STAR Commonwealth program. This is apparently what they've done in the past. The present, their core team, or C-O-R-E, all capital letters, lowercase e, team, has 54 staff members, and then there's trauma and, and uh, resilience training coaches, and there are 30 of them now in their district. Training offering all, for all administration, instructional coaches, K-12 through counselors, various buildings, school psychologists, and other related services. That's all in their current present framework. Their future, it says, continue training staff to become certified trauma and resilience specialists, individual and group coaching, and trauma-informed school certifications. And then in parentheses, it says the word wider. They want everybody in every building to be formally trained in this nonsense. Again, as if everybody in the room doesn't have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. To teach in an an Ohio public school, ladies and gentlemen, you have to have a master's degree. You have to. That's the way that it is here. So these individuals, again, are acting as if the people that are working within these school districts don't even have a formal education. Again, they're talking down to them. Now, I'm not saying they're intelligent people. 
the vast majority, as we know, are brainwashed. They have no idea what's going on in the world, not a clue. They just do what their bosses tell them. They turn on their televisions. They believe it. They're brainwashed. They don't get it. This, however, is even more demeaning and contradicts all of the things that they claim it's going to help. Again, better school climate. Uh, Students and staff are going to feel better and smarter in the environment and less aggressive. No. You want to piss off a group of teachers? You want to do it right now or do it overnight or even in the blink of an eye? Tell them that they have to leave work and go get certified to do something else that they probably already do. I mean, that right there will piss them off to no end. So any school teacher worth their salt looking at this is saying, shut up, go away. We want nothing to do with you. We're not interested. But this particular group is interested in, again, making this commonplace throughout every single school building within their district. Keep in mind, they're not the only district doing this. They aren't. This is happening within copious amounts of school districts all across the United States. And then they have this. Their next slide is trauma and resilience with portrait of a graduate. And it's this giant pie chart looking thing. So overview, it says 10 steps to create trauma-informed, resilience-focused spaces. There's that word spaces again. What does that sound like? This is the Marxist language that they use and the words that they purposefully select to dumb everybody down, wussify the entire environment, and create safe spaces. There are 10 of these again. The first one, focus on resilience. Okay, whatever. Two, understand trauma as an experience. Three, foster connections. Four, prioritize social-emotional skill development. Five, establish safety. Six, promote play. Seven, believe the link between private logic and behavior. I don't even know where to begin with that one. Number eight, collaborate with families and communities. Nine, support and invest in staff. And 10, collect and utilize outcome data. There is no way, again, that you can collect any data regarding this particular program and this Marxist ideology and it having a positive impact on a school building or an entire school district. You can't measure it. It's impossible. The person continues to talk, yada, 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 and then the board starts asking a few questions. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I'm going to start with this woman. This is the next woman who comes up to the lectern, and she starts talking. She has some kind of a thing around her chest. I don't know if it's a purse or or what it is. It looks almost like like a tape recorder or something. I don't know if she's handicapped. I don't know what the deal is. But she has a dog on a leash next to her with one of those vests. It's like a Star Commonwealth vest or something. I kid you not, and you're going to hear them say it. 
Here are the strategies. I'm just going to lay it out first before I, I let you hear what these dummies sound like. Their, their way of implementing all of this is the following. They want teachers to have students use fidget spinners in their hands and, and be able to fidget with things when they become anxious or they've experienced trauma or whatever it may be. Fidget spinners. I remember when those showed up on the scene. That was over 10 years ago. Now they're at, as a as a a nonsense ADHD toy for kids that apparently have the make believe ADHD. And then they would just, you know, perpetuate that that problem so to speak within school buildings. And then of course fidget spinners spinners started showing up everywhere. There's no literature, no scientific data, nothing that shows that that has any positive impact with anybody. They might as well be picking their nose. And that's probably more effective than a fidget spinner. The next thing, of course, as I just alluded to there, therapy dogs. That having a therapy dog around creates a healthier environment and puts people's, you know, puts people at ease and puts a smile on their face and blah, 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 blah. That having these dogs around to be petted and, you know, loved and cherished and whatever else, that that will create a, a safer environment. And another strategy that they mention, which again has the exact opposite effect, which is something that I've written about in almost all of my books and I've brought up here a long time ago on this show. It's a strategy that gets implemented within American schools that is specifically called a bell ringer. Bell ringers were activities that first made their way into school systems through kindergarten classes. And then it worked its way up every single grade, I kid you not, all the way through seniors in high school. Here's what, if you're unaware, here's what a bell ringer activity is. When students are traveling from class to class, and they make their way into their new classroom for the new period or the new subject, there is an activity that is written on the front of the board that the student immediately has to engage in. Initially, these activities were supposed to be academic in nature. They need, it has to be basically an extra lesson plan that the teacher creates on top of the already existing lesson that they were going to have their students do. It was complete control of classroom instruction from the outside in. That was the point, ultimately. And as you would expect, endless school teachers hated it. Why? Because it was a disruptive activity. It was useless. It took up time. Students hated it. And that's the way that it was. This existed also when I was a school teacher. I never did it. Not once. Not once. Because all you have to do, first of all, is have intuition and a brain. And then second, all you have to do is ask your students. Raise your hand if you like these bell ringer activities. Not a single hand will go up in the air. Not one. Ask the question to a group of middle school and high school students. Not a single one. They'll all hate it. All of them. And the one kid who wants to raise his hand will not raise his hand or her hand, look around and see no one else is raising their hand and think to themselves, oh God, I was about to raise my hand. What is it that they have all figured out that I don't have figured out? 
It's incredible. But these people never listen. They, they don't take real data on the spot that they could that would be the determining factor as to whether or not something exists in a school environment or does not. So those are the strategies. Those are them. Now let's listen to this lunatic talk. And again, there are three women. They come up to the lectern. They start talking. And somewhere along the line, a board member does ask this question. Well, I'll get into that later. I'll, I'll get into that piece later. Just listen to this lunatic talk the way they sound, because it's really pathetic. Brains learn. Your brain has to be regulated in order to learn. And so some people coming in from home situations or with past experiences that have severely impacted their ability to regulate, this work is vital. But I have a lot of students who are very bright and very anxious, who also tremendously benefit from the ability to self-regulate, co-regulate, and communicate. Which, so this work helps support all students in that way, but it really, for me, it always comes down to the brain. But it really comes down to regulated brains learn, stressed brains can't learn. So this work helps any anyone who's learning, it helps to kind of get into a space where they can be successful. I think that's a really important point because sometimes people get hung up on the word trauma mm-hmm. and they think of trauma centers yep. and so forth. And, you know, it's, it's a tough phrase to work with because people have preconceived notions about it. But you're talking about everything along the continuum of specific acute trauma through toxic stress, through uh, seasons of anxiety, through continual anxiety. It's extraordinarily important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, would you? No, because I... I think I recall you were doing some specific work with IB students at South in this space, were you not? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit more in that, what you were doing there with them. That might be. Yeah, that might absolutely. Hit. We found that for our high achievers, um, students who are just really do well academically and tend to put a lot on their plate, that sometimes you get to the point where they weren't able to be successful. They would shut down. Um, they would get caught up in perfectionism and not be able to turn in anything because everything wasn't perfect, things like that. And for um, the IB spaces, we found that by going into the spaces and really working on these core skills of regulation, but also uh, using some of this trauma-informed work and resilience-focused work to create spaces that allowed them to self-regulate within the space, within the work. So incorporating moments of learning, taking in the work, and then co-regulating, working with other students having the teachers help frame their efforts and their behaviors in certain ways that help them kind of reinterpret it, they were able to not burn out, essentially. They were able to regulate. So they would, um, an example of this is we would go in and focus on self-care as a intentional way to be academically successful. Oftentimes we look at self-care as kind of a bonus and a thing you do to the side. But framing self-care activities that regulate as necessary in order to get your brain into a space where you can take a new new information and then um, create new things that kind of help refocus some of their interpretations. We spend a lot of time, again, with regulation. If you're listening to that and you're saying to yourself, what in the hell is she talking about? Then you are awake. You are a sane person. Congratulations, pat yourself on the back. She's nuts because she's saying nothing 
thinking she's saying everything. There's nothing being brought up there. Nothing. She's just randomly saying words, putting them together in what she believes to be a sentence, and then again, constantly nodding and justifying the nonsense that just came out of her mouth. Regulating. Students need to be regulated in order to learn. Translation. And she's not this smart to understand the translation. The translation is, students need to all act exactly the same way all of the time in accordance with the way that the teacher believes they need to behave all of the time. That that's the only way that anybody's going to learn anything. Honest to God, ladies and gentlemen, when all of this crumbles, and it is crumbling, it's programs like this that are going to continue to show up, and these nuts people pushing all of this are going to be the ones that are going to rush in and try to save the day. But what these people don't understand, because the joke is on them, is they're at the very least double vaccinated. They have at least two doses of a biological weapon coursing through their veins, and yet these are the people that they want. Well, these are the people, I should say, that want you as family members to rely on them to fix things. Or we need to listen to them because these are the people that have all of the answers. There's more audio. I'm going to play just a little bit more. But I do want to say this. There's a board member then who asks, it's the, it's the black male on the board. He says, so what is it that we can do as parents and family members in the home on a day-in and day-out basis to make sure that we aren't contradicting what it is that you're trying to accomplish with, with our children? Again, translation. What can us mindless parents who think that government is the better parent, what can we do in the home to further brainwash our child, to get them to do what you want them to do so that we can get them to do the same thing at home and make their behavior ubiquitous from environment to environment to environment? with therapy dogs and fidget spinners and bell ringer activities and all this other stuff. What is it that we can do? And then that's when one of the women comes forward and says, so we have a parent training night that's coming up in a few weeks and it's free and parents can come in and they can listen to us and we can give them strategies. See, if you want statistical information as to how effective or what people think of these programs, measure and count how many parents show up to that meeting to be trained by these idiots. I'd be shocked if it's 20 parents in this entire school district. I'd be shocked. Because most parents don't want government to be the, ch to be the parent. Most parents want to be the parent. That's why they have kids, by and large. That's usually the reason. But not these people. 
These people, if they are parents themselves, are such bad parents that they quite literally do whatever government tells them to do regarding their children. That is not a survivable characteristic. When Big Brother has its hand on the back of a parent, the children of that parent are going to end up dead. That's the way that it always goes. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. But these people have no idea. Let me play some more audio so you can hear how crazy these people sound. I was just going to add I, one of your one of the parts of your question. You were talking about connecting trauma and resilience, and how we don't always need to know what the trauma is and what's going on in a student's life. And sometimes they don't know. They don't have the ability to communicate what has happened. Part of the training is going through trauma and resilience themes. So there are themes that we kind of pendulate between. So if a student uh, feels unsafe, then the resilience theme is building that safety and that sense of community. If a student has fear, then we pendulate to resilience on hope. So a lot of times we can find what area of resilience to focus on based on um, the behaviors we see. So if a student is voicing that they don't feel safe in school, what are things that we can do to make them feel like they belong? So we do talk about those themes. And I think that's important for all students. They all have sadness and fears, but how do you get to the resilient side? And I think the one thing we liked about this program is there's lots of practical application. I mean, I love talking about philosophy and thinking about things, but this also gives you tools that we don't just have to be counselors or mental health people to do. I think that's what we really liked about STAR and the trainings. So I'm worried about a little bit of the terminology and so people understand. Can you give us some examples of some dysregulation and some ways to regulate that might be useful for anyone that's a little nervous? Well, if you think about it, everyone dysregulates. Right. And as adults, we've figured out ways to regulate our bodies. So whether that is tapping pins, shaking our foot, um, petting a dog, right? <laughs> so all of these are strategies that we've developed over time that have worked for us to keep us in the moment, keep us engaged in activities, um, and keep us in a space where we can learn. So some children don't have those coping strategies yet or don't know what works for them yet. Um, so that's part of what we would be doing to look at regulation skills. So it can be as simple as that, but dysregulation could be any form of... Um, outward behavior or internal that your heart rate starts to elevate and you start to get hot all of those signs of anxiety and the higher you get in that the less you are connected to what's going on and able to learn yeah most behavior especially most behavior that results in discipline is dysregulation and you think about it in my elementary world, like kindergartners are all dysregulated. I mean, like <laughs> lots of elementary students, they come in and they, you know, don't know how to sit or they need to walk around the classroom. It's just simple, simple ways to get them engaged and simple ways to help their body. And we really work a lot on just those body sensations. Like, how do you feel? What does your body feel like? What does it feel like when it's feeling hopeful or feeling safe and settled? So I think those are all important tools yeah, that we all experience as we get to the high school level mm -hmm. we fine-tune it. it's more things you can do in your chair it's less obvious it's breathing techniques uh, focusing on mindfully breathing in as you hold your fingers push as hard as you can 
and then breathing out and pushing all the air out to reset that vagus nerve, reset the part of your brain that helps in the stress response. And then just going through four deep breaths on your hand. You can do it at your desk. And students feel like they have some control over their anxiety or over the dysregulation of stress and are able to then move forward. So it sounds like um, if a student's acting out, like there's tools, you can see that, you can help them regulate. What about the kids that are sitting quietly, that are like shoving it down? Is this something that is kind of talked about to the whole class of, hey, we may be having some anxiety or this is some tools that you could do? Part of this training, Jesse was talking about it, is specific to when it becomes externalized and you see the big behavior, but then also what this looks like when it becomes internalized. And so there's, we talk about that with the people who go through the training on what it can look like in each of those states, 100%. Absolutely. And just as important, yes, students are acting out. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, I think, I think the average IQ in the room is probably 70 among these people. These are not smart people. I quite literally mean that. These people are borderline retarded. I'm dead serious. They're not intelligent. They are not smart. They're saying stupid things. They're, they're asking stupid questions. Again, you heard some board members there ask a couple of questions. Uh, th- these are dumb people. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, is why There is no more unsafe environment, no other unsafe environment for the vast majority of children than these environments, because they're filled with people like this. This is a problem. Again, any high school teacher listening to this is probably laughing. Listening to those people give that presentation, they're they're, they're laughing at them. The vast majority of people are probably laughing at them who work in the school district. Those people those three women standing up at the lectern, well, it was four total, but they all believe that what they are doing is the solution to every teacher's issue with discipline or trauma, as they say, or whatever it may be. They actually believe it. They're so full of themselves that they actually go to a board meeting and speak at a lectern to the board about what they want to see the entire school district engage in. Again, the hubris of all of it is astounding to me. Now, I have to say this also, because you know I'm not a fan of this person, but this I think this episode, uh, among countless others that you've heard, I hope anyway, solidifies the fact that this is what real education analysis looks and sounds like, coming from someone who knows what they're talking about. You see, this is what the likes of Chris Rufo and people of his ilk can never do. Because Chris Rufo would support something like this. I guarantee it. Chris Rufo and and many others who haphazardly speak on the issue of education and their only credential is having a Twitter account, that they would maybe highlight this as being ridiculous, but they can't dive any deeper as to why. And I like to think that that's what I've done right here. I mean, you have common sense. You heard these people. 
You heard you you just hear the way that they talk and the way that they sound. This is how they talk and sound in their normal lives on a day in and day out basis. They're retarded. They're just retarded. But they're trying to normalize their retardation on everybody. <laughs> no. No. You don't get to do that. Raise the bar of intelligentsia, please. Someone raise the bar. These environments are so poisonous that I'm telling you, and it skips right into the next thing here that I'm going to bring up. And I know that I just spent almost an hour on this, but I had to because this is, this is going on in every American K-12 school district. It's happening. This is the plan. This is the SEL, social-emotional learning. We can all be counselors. We can all be psychiatrists. Let's all, you know, let's all give fidget spinners and, and hairy dogs to people, and then that will solve all of life's problems. No, no. The environment is the problem. You can put Band-Aids on a gushing artery all you want, but the leg has been chopped off. And you're still asking these children to hop around on one leg in the environment that chopped off their leg. Metaphorically, of course. That's the problem. They'll never accept responsibility as a school district as being the reason for the mental and emotional decline of students. They should be. They're not. They're, they're not. And they're never going to be. They should be the shield from government. They should be the shield from government influence, but they aren't. They're a vessel for it. They're a catch basin for, for government influence. When it spills out of Washington and it lands in, in their local area, they catch it and they hold on to it. And then they try to implement it within their school districts. It's destined to fail. There's no more unsafe environment that exists. It can't get more unsafe. And this also, and I alluded to this in the last episode, this pretty much proves it too, the hubris of these people. This month, this entire month, is school board member appreciation month or school board recognition month in the state of Ohio. At the beginning of that board meeting, they quite literally as board members gave themselves a trophy. They gave it to themselves. And then they all took a picture together in the front of the room with their trophy that they gave themselves. <laughs> you, can't, you can't make this up. This is who they are. This is what they do. That, that happened. It's, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know what else to add. I don't think I can add anything else. This is that, again... It, it stretches back, well, I'll add this. It, it stretches back to the World Health Organization manual that I read regarding vaccine crisis communication. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go back and read the title of that document. And I'm, I'm just going to take out the words vaccine and immunization. Okay, the title as it reads is Vaccine Crisis Communication Manual, a step-by-step -step guidance for national immunization programs. Now I'm going to read it with the words vaccine and immunization gone. Crisis communication manual, a step-by-step -step guidance for national programs. You see how it takes on a completely different meaning? Do you see how 
me just taking out the words vaccine and immunization immediately turn into this star commonwealth program regarding trauma and resilience and all of that other stuff. It's the same playbook. It's the same thing. We create the problems. We will never accept responsibility. We will cover up any responsible, uh, well, I should say this, we will cover up any involvement we had in creating the problem in the first place, and then we will sell you the solution. The solution may be free. It may be time-consuming. It may be optional. It may be mandatory. But we will sell it to you anyway. And we will normalize this insanity and then on to the next trauma based event that people will experience. I'm going to say this in conclusion regarding all of that. This was done on purpose. This is a part of the plan. This, this opened the door. They didn't just go fifth gear, pedal to the metal, gay to the bone regarding the LGBT nonsense. It wasn't just that, it was this too. They have to create a school. And, in, and entire districts that are therapy sessions for children to further brainwash them, make them angry, which is what programs like this do, make, make teachers angry, more angry than they already are. Remember, before 2020, teacher retention was at an all-time low and getting worse. School climate was at an all-time low. Feelings of satisfaction among school employees was at an all-time low. You don't actually think that's improved over the last three years, do you? Do you think all of that's gotten better? More students hated school before 2020 than ever before. Before 2020, endless students detested school. Do you think that's gotten better over the last three years? No, you know it hasn't. But again, Chris Rufo and his Twitter account are never going to specifically dive into what I just dove into here, because he can't. As long as school boards, however, continue to invite people like that in, ladies and gentlemen, they're showing you that they're opening the door to the thought of it existing. And it already exists in their school district. They just want to make it commonplace among the commonwealth, not just within the school district, but within the home. They want to make that commonplace everywhere in the entire town or city or county or state or country where you live. That's their ultimate plan. Because that's Marxism in a nutshell. I want everybody to be as crazy as I am. That's Marxism. I want everybody to be as miserable as I am. I want everybody to see everything the way that I do. You don't have to see things the way that I do. You can see them any way you'd like. But they would never say that to you. These kinds of people would never say that. It's a good thing I wasn't in that room. Because after that presentation was the public comment section. And no one in this particular school board... In these school board meetings, no one shows up for the public comment section. No, nobody. Unless they have, again, like some kind of a perceived grievance, I guess. But, but that rarely ever happens. No one ever shows up to educate the people in the room how wrong they are. Because again, as you heard me say in the last episode, if I, Walter Mitty, being in that room, 
I did Walter Mitty being in that room, but if I if I if I did or I actually spoke, I would have destroyed everybody in the room. I would have insulted everybody intentionally on purpose at the beginning. I would have started off by saying something like, that was the dumbest presentation I've ever heard in my entire life. And then I would have, of course, put the blame on the school board members and the superintendent. I would have said, you're the reason why students hate school. You are the reason why you have a teacher retention problem. And your teacher retention problem is about to get a whole lot worse. Jab, jab, jab. Booster shot, booster shot. Mask wearing, social distancing. All of that that they implemented on the people who work within the, within the entire environment. They are the problem. And then I would have kept going and then, of course, been arrested and that would have been fun. Okay. That's that, ladies and gentlemen. That's happening. Moving on here. I want to mention this. Just a couple of quick headlines. There was a Kansas City school that went full gay agenda. They went full LGBT alphabet soup uh, to the bone. And they have lost their funding. They too were an academy. A Kansas City Christian school, it says, lost donations after supporting LGBTQ rights. Now it's closing. Again, you know, get woke, go broke, go woke, get broke, whatever you want to say. It usually has something to do not just with their ideologies that they're pushing, which clearly it does, but it's also the geographic location in which they are existing. If they're existing in a place that doesn't support the LGBT alphabet soup gay nonsense, they're not going to last. They aren't going to last. You're going to need the parents to start funding the school themselves, and many of them don't even have the funds to do it. So that's why the school is going to close, and thank God that it's closed. I mean, good riddance. Uh, Here's the next one. Again, not, uh, not, not surprising. And the two-faced nature of this entire thing and the hypocrisy, of course, is incredible. But this was from the Gateway Pundit. It's, it's titled, While New York City teachers are fired for refusing COVID mandates, illegals are allowed in schools with no proof of immunization. Of course. Is anybody shocked by any of that? Again, there were, you know, there was also a... Uh, what was it? I think it was in Ontario. Another story of a, uh, a particular male student, high school student, who didn't want to participate, uh, I guess, in the LGBTQ stuff. And this was in a Christian private school. And they ended up suspending him because he didn't want to participate in their nonsense. Something along those lines. I'm, I'm getting some of the details wrong, but that was the general, that was the general idea of, of that particular story, too. So again, you know, th this this belief that even Christian schools or private schools would never engage in the alphabet soup nonsense. Of course they would. They do it all the time. They have orders also. They receive their talking orders in their emails just like medical doctors receive their talking orders in their emails. And those emails get put into a memo format and then they get sent to every single administrator and school teacher within that building. And then they have to follow along. And if they don't, well, we know what happens to them. So that's happening. Pull your children out of school permanently. This is hitting private schools more and more. It's not going to go away until it's in every single private school. See, you thought it wasn't going to find its way into every public school, but it has, hasn't it? They're coming after private schools. They're coming after Christian private schools. They're saying that this is Christian, that this is the Christian way 
alphabet soup, sodomy nonsense. This is the way, ladies and gentlemen. We need to support these things and teach children about inclusivity and blah, blah, blah. They're going to keep doing that. That's not going to go away until they have every single school under their thumb. That's what they want. So make them destitute before they have the chance. Pull your children out permanently. If you think government's going to get better with time, they won't. They will get worse. It always gets worse. Okay. And as a meme very famously says, you know, it's not that things are getting worse per se, it's that things are being exposed. And that's true. Things are being exposed. And it's only worse for the people who aren't figuring that out yet. And it's only a matter of time again before it catches up to them. Because the confusion among American children is setting in. And it has for a long time, but it's getting worse and getting exposed. Okay, jab-related things. I wanted to start with this. A listener of the show sent me uh, the link to Karen Kingston talking on X-22 Report. And this is, uh, this is kind of a big deal. I, I watched it, and I've, again, listened to Karen Kingston for quite some time. Uh, she knows what she's talking about when it comes to legal analysis of paperwork. I'll give her that. Okay? And I'm not saying this to hate on Karen Kingston. I, again, that's, you know, that's not the point. I'm just providing, I'm providing perhaps a little insight, something that I've written about at least two years ago. And, uh, and something that you've heard me say on, on this show with regularity. First of all, to her full credit, she goes through the paperwork regarding Pfizer. She goes through the paperwork regarding what the definition of a vaccine is what the definition of a biological weapon is, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, it is categorized as a biological geoengineering uh, agent or a gene manipulation agent in Pfizer's own paperwork. Based on the definition, of course, of a biological weapon, the shots are a biological weapon because they do nothing. They don't work. They just kill. That has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt. She's 100% right on that. No doubt about it. However, what she says in that X-22 report regarding how to solve this problem, I believe, is untenable. It can't, it's not going to happen. And her solution was this. She used this quote, which I think is really outplayed and overplayed. <clears throat> and I, excuse me, and I mean no offense when I say this, but she uses the phrase mama bears. She says, quote unquote, mama bears are going to be the ones that save the day. Mama bears are going to be the ones that stand up and push back against companies like Pfizer. Ladies and gentlemen, I have yet to read a section in a history book, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, that says anything about mama bears saving the day. It's people with trigger fingers that could save the day. But I don't think mama bears are going to be the ones saving the day here. Karen Kingston's suggestion is that you can, of course, sue Pfizer for purposefully hurting people and implementing something under the guise of a vaccine when, in fact, it is by definition not a vaccine. There are, I'm sure, a variety of lawsuits that could be brought. She's claiming that that has to happen at the local level. 
that local sheriffs, local prosecutors have to get involved and that that's how this gets fixed. That's how Pfizer and their officials end up in jail and end up without any money and go away permanently. I disagree 100%, and here's why. You know that I've tried that by asking a series of questions to a series of people having face-to-face and phone conversations with sheriff's deputies, a county prosecutor, and others. This is why Karen Kingston is wrong in this particular regard. And I wrote a substack about this two years ago. I said, this is the perfect crime because everybody at the local level is by and large jabbed. You're talking about government positions, sheriff's departments, sheriff's deputies. They all collect their money from the state and from taxpayers, county prosecutors, judges, the entire local and statewide judicial system. In the state of Ohio, we have a governor, Mike DeWine. He openly engaged in a vaccine lottery for people to participate in to prove that when they had taken these bioweapons, they would be in the running or a raffle for a million dollars. Karen, she's not listening to this show, but if I could say something to her, I would say, you don't actually think the judicial system is going to solve this problem, do you? At the local level? Or even at the state level? That will never happen. It's not going to happen. If it does happen, I will be the first person to fully admit I was wrong. But this isn't happening yet. And we're two years in to this biological weapon being rolled out. We're well two years in. Not a single lawsuit has made its way to a judge that says, yep, this is a biological weapon. Two flipping years. So my take is and has always been, as it has been even with Q-drops and countless other things, that this has to come from the top down. I don't like saying that. I don't like that. But that should tell everybody how corrupt the system is. It's so corrupt at the local level and at the state level and even the federal level. It has to come from the military. There have to be public tribunals. If there aren't, there won't be any accountability at the local level. Do you want to get rid of local officials in the blink of an eye? Local politicians, local lawyers, judges, sheriffs that won't prosecute or won't investigate or won't do this or won't do that? The way that you do that is you hang someone publicly. But that person has to be well-known and at the top. There has to be a visual tribunal of some kind where evidence is presented and they are found guilty. Not a Nuremberg. Don't get me started on that again. (laughs) Excuse me. The ridiculous Nuremberg trial. That was a show trial. It was bought and sold by Stalin himself. I've I've been over it. That's a poor it's a poor historic reference. Individuals who were hung were tortured. They were tortured beforehand to confess to particular things that they didn't do. That was a lo- that was a large part of it. I'm not saying there weren't the occasional bad people that experimented on the occasional person. Th- that probably happened. But that wasn't really what the Nuremberg trial was for. The Nuremberg trial was really to paint Germans 
in a in a in a bad light an entire country an entire people in a bad light as being war criminals we can't have another nuremberg there needs to be something else it needs to be legitimate where real evidence is presented torture is not a part of it there's just real evidence and the evidence is so overwhelming that prosecution and death is the only is the only resolution that's not going to happen at the local level again you've heard me you've heard me go over it before on countless episodes the county prosecutor where i am the oldest prosecutor in the county he's double jabbed sick as a dog double jabbed i'd be surprised if he's still alive the sheriff's deputy i talked to he's not jabbed he had a look of complete shock and concern in his face when Kim Carter and myself told him this was a biological weapon, that you need to investigate this. You need to prosecute the people who are involved. There needs to be an investigation. What happened? Everybody passed the buck. The entire department passed the buck. I've emailed these people this evidence and these articles, peer-reviewed, all the way dating back to uh, expose articles that say, you have AIDS if you're jabbed. They haven't done anything. They're doubling down. So I don't know what Karen Kingston is talking about, but it's not happening. She herself says that she lives in San Diego County in California. Good luck with that. Good luck. Again, she's, you know, she also said again, I'm working with Tom Rents in, in Florida and we're trying to do some things in Florida. It's a needle in a haystack. It's a needle in a box of needles. No one's going to wake up to a local prosecution regarding COVID or regarding these shots. It's not going to happen. That won't happen. It has to come from the top down because it's too corrupt at the local level. It's corrupt all the way up and down the ladder. If you don't dump gasoline down the ladder and light it from the top down, People are, people are going to ignore what's going on. They're, they're going to get away with it. So that's the beef that I had with, with her hour-long talk with Dave on X-22 Report. Everything else she says is solid, solid information. She's 100% right. Yes, it's a biological weapon. Yes, it's killing the people who take it, et cetera, et cetera. We know that. But mama bears are not going to save the day. It's just not going to happen. Speaking of quote-unquote mama bears, did you hear the Carrie Lake audio when she was talking to Charlie Kirk the other day? Charlie Kirk point-blank asked her whether, and he was wearing his, his, his Dilbert glasses, but whatever. Charlie Kirk asked her point-blank whether or not she was interested in running for the Senate seat in Arizona. She said yes. I thought she was supposed to be the governor of Arizona. I thought that there was election fraud in Arizona. But what are they doing? They're relying on the judicial system to solve their problems. They're relying on judges in the local judicial system, locally and at the state level, to overturn an election that was clearly fraudulent. Helen Keller could see it was fraudulent, but now Kerry Lake is entertaining the idea of running for Senate. Using what voting machines? In what state exactly? 
It was asinine. The, the comment was asinine. The question was dumb. And Charlie Kirk is an idiot. But th the answer was ridiculously stupid. She did say, of course, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm focused on the governorship and, and, and the outcome that we want a judge to make and blah, blah, blah. That's all she had to say. All she had to say was, no, I'm not interested in becoming a senator of Arizona. The answer is no. And you should never ask me that question again, Charlie, wherever you came from, Charlie Kirk. That's what she should have said. She didn't say that, though. It's, it's terrible. It's just terrible. It's people quitting, people giving up, and people crossing their fingers that the local judicial system is going to solve everything. Honest to Christ, it's not going to solve anything. So there's that. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me bring this up, too. This, too, again, ties in with everything that, I've been, that, I, that I brought up this entire episode, including dating back to the education presentation there. The WHO releases their International Pandemic Treaty Zero Draft that targets misinformation and disinformation. This is their cleanup now. And it doesn't just have to do with World Health Organization information regarding quote-unquote bioweapons or vaccines. No, no, no. This has to do with everything. This is, this is, their, this is their plan. This is their crisis plan. And again, no offense to the Chris Ann Halls of the world who say that this is a conspiracy theory and it can't exist in the United States because of the Constitution. I would respectfully disagree with you and say it already does exist. It has existed. Look at what YouTube does, for Christ's sake. Look what all these other institutions are doing. They're already doing it. Doctors will look their own patients in the face and tell their patients that they are foolish for believing the truth. But the cognitive dissonance and the brainwashing is ultimately the problem. That's also why Karen Kingston is wrong regarding her approach. You have to deprogram these people who have been jabbed that such a thing needs to be prosecuted or that such a thing like this zero draft for misinformation and disinformation regarding their international pandemic treaty couldn't possibly exist because it's, well, it's, it's unconstitutional. Constitutionality's got nothing to do with it. I haven't seen the Constitution be followed in years, if not decades. I mean, 9-11, please. <laughs> Uvalde, Texas, hello. Endless examples. Ruby Ridge. We could go on and on and on all day long. What Constitution? It's the weaponization of government against the people, and they know exactly how to do it. Every pharmacist followed along with this. That's all you need. Not a shot was fired out of a gun. Not one. Lots of shots from syringes, but not a single shot from a gun. And look how many people they killed and are killing. It's astounding. So this zero draft thing is going into effect, and they're voting on it in apparently May of 2024, so they say. It, of course, is an extension of the treaty that they pushed back in December of 2021 that I brought up on this show in May and April, and even earlier than that, of last year, of 2022. So America is a part of the World Health Organization. So are endless other countries. 
194 member states, which represents 98% of all countries in the world, would be required to comply with the treaty and something demands to target misinformation. There you go. It's happening in schools, for God's sakes. It's happening in American K-12 schools. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a, it's a conspiracy reality without a doubt. Been around for quite some time. Here's the next one. More specific jab-related stuff here. And I'm, then I'm going to kind of wrap this up. Uh, it, again, this shouldn't surprise anybody. Urgent breaking. Updated summation. The spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 is delivered, quote-unquote, to all organs via the endothelium and induces systemic non nonsense mRNA translations resulting in hyperaccelerated aging. Yes. We, we, we've known this. Again, you may recall that old study of the 80-some-year-old guy who received two jabs and died. They found spike proteins in every organ and in every body system, including his brain and spinal cord. Of course, it increases aging. It's poison. Just like antifreeze ingested by a dog increases the aging of the dog. It's a melting of the organs from the, out, from the inside out. I mean, look at Steve Kirsch's face. He's even posted pictures of his face on Gab. I brought that up a long time ago. He's aging. He's looking worse. People who are jabbed are aging. Hell, people who are talking about this are aging. I can feel myself getting older right now. I can hear myself getting older. It's happening. Thank God I'm not jabbed, but you know what I'm saying. Yep, hyper-accelerated aging. Okay, here's the last thing. And I think this summarizes, I think, the, the, the state of our country in a nutshell. And this is absolutely horrific. And I want you to remember this person's name. This is from the Gateway Pundit. It's bouncing around lots of places. 73-year-old Arizona rancher charged with first-degree murder for fatally shooting a legal alien on his property, held on a $1 million bond. Keno Springs, Arizona, a 73-year-old Arizona rancher was arrested and charged with first-degree murder for fatally shooting a Mexican migrant likely an illegal alien on his ranch. Of course he's an illegal alien. They even say so later on. George Allen Kelly is a hero, ladies and gentlemen. 73 years old, owns a ranch in Arizona, and he was arrested for killing Gabriel Kuhn Butima on his Arizona ranch in Keno Springs, just outside of Nogales, Mexico, on January 30th. He's being held in the Santa Cruz County Jail on $1 million bond. A million dollars. I recall two African-American girls carjacking a Muslim man or an Indian man in downtown Washington, D.C. On footage, all of it caught on camera, and they drove away with him hanging on to the side of his car and hanging on to his actual pass or driver's side car door after he had been carjacked, holding on to the steering wheel and trying to hold on for dear life, only to be run into a building 
where he died right then and there on the spot, and both of those girls got off clean. And the whole thing was caught on film. They murdered a man with his own automobile, and they both got off clean. But George Kelly's in jail, and his wife hopefully is being taken care of by someone, but he wanted the judge to release him because his wife is home by herself. And no one is attending to his livestock. I'm sure there are people attending to all of it now. You would hope that Americans would stand up for other Americans. My point here is this, and it should be rather obvious. We don't have a country if you can't kill an illegal on your own property in self-defense. If you have an illegal making their way on your property, you don't know their intent other than their intent is probably to harm you and the people and the things on your property. Shoot to kill. That's what they teach you in the concealed carry classes. Shoot to kill. Don't shoot to maim. Don't leave them alive. Shoot them and kill them. And he was an illegal alien who had been arrested multiple times by our government and deported multiple times. I'm sure he had nothing but positive intentions, though, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure that this individual wanted to work hard and get an education and maybe become a school teacher someday. This Gabriel person who's now dead, thank God. But this man is a hero. George Allen Kelly is a hero. Because what he experienced, ladies and gentlemen, we're all going to have to experience at some point if this continues to go down the way it's going down. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Friday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.